Welcome to the limited series of On Air. Our podcast brings together FemPlot professionals, mentors and supporters for a conversation about career topics. We want to discuss different perspectives and see what we can learn from each other. Today, we'll talk about leading with empathy. How do you practice leading with empathy? How do you develop such a skill? How to be empathetic yet assertive? We had a great chat about this with Ezeneth Ferrero-Russell and Michal Ptáček. Ezeneth is the Global Business Evolution Director at Semex, a global building materials company, and the Country Director at Neoris, a digital accelerator and tech consultancy. She has more than 20 years of experience in leading board-level transformation initiatives and supported agile teams composed of members of more than 30 nationalities. Ezeneth has lived as a permanent resident in five countries and has conducted digital programs in many others. Michal Ptáček is the founder and CEO of Czech Ranch and has been an IT guy since he was a kid. At Czech Ranch, he currently leads a team of 18 people who are trying to disrupt the Czech media ecosystem. Besides that, Michal also runs a side project, OfficeLoving.com, focused on showcasing the world's best office design. And to this date, he still does some programming out of his passion for creativity. Both Michal and Azanet are mentors at Fempelet. Let's go! I would like to welcome Ezeneth and Michal on our Fempelet podcast. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. I would like to discuss with you two as the leaders on our Czech and international market, leading with empathy. I will dive right into it and I would like to ask an introductory question. And that is, what do you think is more important for a good manager or a leader to be empathetic and have very strong set of soft skills, or would it be to have great analytical skills and hard skills? Ezenet, could you please start? Sure, Clara. Thank you for having us here. It's a pleasure to be part of this podcast. I believe that for a great leader, and I think I'm going to introduce the difference of what I believe is a good manager and a good leader. For a good leader, I believe that is definitely very important to have soft skills and to be empathetic because that's a tool or that's a way in which this leader can actually inspire and motivate a team or teams of people to at the end accomplish or achieve goals that the business is actually setting. So to me, a good manager, yes, could actually have very good skills, uh, hard skills, technical skills, but to be a good or a great leader you need to actually bring these uh, soft skills or learn, actually develop these soft skills to the table to be able to achieve results by having people motivated. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is that the leader should have the soft skills developed and maybe have a great team with good hard skills, analytical skills that they can get the results done. Do I understand it correctly? I think you do, but I'm not saying that the team members will not have also soft skills. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's a combination for sure. But I think what differentiates a good manager from a good leader or a great leader is precisely that soft part that yeah. actually can be put on top of the hard skills. Thank you so much. Michal, what's your take on this one? I see it very similar, right, as Azanet. I mean, like in a general, I think a good leader needs to have both of these skills. You know, you need to have a good empathy. I mean, it's like EQ, you know, not only like IQ, but also EQ. But you also need to have some skills, of course. And I mean, we can see it, you know, if you look, and I think it will be probably one of the questions, but if you look at the world's greatest leaders, you know, such as 
Steve Jobs, Paul Gates, and people like that. It's really funny because, you know, I think like some of them don't have much of an empathy, but they still were able to develop a pretty companies. But I think that today's age is, is a slightly different, you know, that the people, and I mean, especially the employees want to work for somebody they feel good with. And I see that it's something we were not that used to that in the past, and it's slowly changing. I would say that if I were, uh, let's say I was a real good programmer, you know, and I'm And I think I would try to decide between like three to five really good job offers. I would definitely lean more towards the job offers, which would offer me a boss who is like more friendly, you know, more on the empathy side, even though the job itself may not be as ambitious as with somebody else, for example, like Elon Musk or, you know, something like that. Because I think, for example, Elon Musk is not a... I think he's a really good leader, but he thinks he certainly likes a bit of an empathy. You could definitely read it in some books, you know, about him where some people describe how is it to work for Elon Musk. You know, he's definitely very smart, very ambitious, but he likes a bit of an empathy. And for example, myself, I would definitely prefer to be working with somebody else in this like uh, regards. So yeah, that's my point of view on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and thank you. And Michal, uh, I would like to stay there because you mentioned that some of the great leaders in the past probably lacked empathy a little bit, that nowadays you think it's a little bit shifting that to get people to work for your company, you not only have to have a great vision, but also be a great leader and a boss that empathizes with their employees. What do you think can happen to the company or the team if the leader, maybe the, the biggest one and the leaders uh, maybe on the, in the middle level are not empathetic enough? It's only my opinion, so maybe I'm not right, of course. But I think that uh, what's actually happening and we can already see it is that really talented people, the people who are responsible for the hardest things in the companies are actually leaving, you know, for different kind of companies that offer them, you know, something they're looking for. So um, as I said, you know, back in the 90s, when you look into some kind of like corporation, the typical corporation, you know, had a leader on the top, then you had like a bill of management, and then you have the rest of the employees. And it seemed to me like, you know, the leader on the top was considered something like a king, you know, sitting on his high throne, you know, giving orders to everybody. And I definitely think this time is a show the past. And uh, I'm so glad it's like that. And I mean, I've heard some stories about people who decided to leave the company just because of this, you know, because they didn't work in this environment anymore. And even, you know, they might took some pay cut, but it still was worth it for them because, you know, they were in a much better and much healthier environment. I think the companies who are not able to do this will have a big problems in the future. That's my take on this topic. You mentioned uh, very good examples of leaders that are not perceived as being empathetic. Uh, when I think of Jeff Bezos, when I think of Bill Gates, for example, or uh, Steve Jobs, I mean, I think of what Michal said, I mean, uh, like myself, they developed their careers throughout 90s and the early 2000, early years of this decade. At the time, actually, one of the sayings for leaders was failure is not an option. And yeah. I think <laughs> to develop what they developed, they must have failed and learned through the process because I mean we've known the story the, the story behind Apple and Steve Jobs being fired we know that Jeff Bezos started with a completely different concept in Amazon and now he has created what we know of Amazon so I think they had to actually be in a way empathetic but when I say empathetic is we need to distinguish I believe between affective empathy which is being affectionate and be, I don't know, I mean, kind, etc., versus cognitive empathy, which is when you truly put yourself 
in a cognitive way in the shoes of your team members and others to get them inspired and to actually get them motivated to buy into your vision and to buy into your goals. I think Steve Jobs, yes, he presented himself as a very strong person, but who was able to truly put himself in the shoes of his teams and his customers. Because I think we all have seen many of his presentations and we got inspired by listening to him. And so he actually, we bought into his vision. And I think that's a different form of empathy, more cognitive than affective or affectionate. And also, I think they were in a way self-aware and empathetic on themselves because they had amazing journeys in which they fell down and get, they get up again and they fall down again and they got up again to build what we know as like these great corporations. But I think what Michal is saying is very true. At the end, people work for a culture and people work for a boss or for a manager. And for sure, I mean, people want to be respected and want to be uh, listened. So at the end, uh, if they don't get this treatment or this feeling, at the end, people will make a choice to move on and leave, which is, I think, the history of General Electric. I mean, with Jack Welch at at the time, people were very stressed to work in a corporation that was very rigid. Failure is not an option, et cetera, that at the end, people were choosing to leave and work for a better environment, a better culture. I absolutely agree. Nice points. Totally. Do you have any examples from your own experience working for companies, maybe as an F from the past, where you yourself were in a position when you didn't like how the boss was was treating the employees, you felt like they lack empathy, or maybe some great examples of a leader that you experienced in the past and how it was in a in a situation, maybe? I think I have learned also how to be more empathetic with my teams. I mean, I grew up uh, and I started my career when failure was not an option. So it was very, a lot of pressure in ensuring that you got the goals regardless the cost. So I think when I was growing in my career, I was very driven and uh, I used to push my teams quite a lot. And I think I myself experienced lack of empathy with my team members But I think through feedback, I was able to realize, you know, I'm actually pushing and I'm not listening what their personal needs are. Because at the time also you were told or we were learning how to separate personal life from career. And we know that that's not possible now. I mean, we know now, I think, through our journeys and learning that is impossible. It's only you and and you bring everything, right? So through feedback, I was uh, able to learn that I needed to be more empathetic to my team. So I think my experience is on my own. And I've been very lucky to have good mentors and to actually be more aware of uh, and try to put myself in my team's shoes. I'm so glad that you're saying that you yourself were able to develop more empathy over time, thanks to feedback and thanks to working on yourself, because that was exactly uh, one of my next questions. And that was, if you guys think that the leaders or people are born with empathy skills or if they can be gained and improved over time. So now I probably know Azanet's take on this one. Michal, what do you think? I think it's definitely possible, even though there are some limits. It's like saying, you know, if you look at some athletes, for example, if you look at a typical Olympic swimmer, that person has like really long legs, really long hands, blah, blah, blah. And uh, if you are short, something like that, then you might probably not be another Michael Phelps. Even though you may train very hard, you won't probably get on that level. And I see the same way, you know, uh, in the terms of empathy. I mean, you can get more empathy. You can learn to be more empathetic. But uh, 
if you start on level zero, you might get to level five, but you won't be able to reach level 20 or, you know, level 30. So I think there are some limits, but definitely you can, you can definitely improve yourself, you know, by learning or by having uh, some kind of experience. Yeah. That's my take on this. I would maybe mention one more name, if you don't mind. You know, I'm thinking about like Mark Zuckerberg. I mean, he's really lacking some social skills and we can see it even today. If you look in his past, some people, you know, from psychology would probably describe him as a bit of like a sociopathic, maybe something like that. And I mean, he was definitely able to improve that, but uh, there's a lot of limits. You know, when you see him like talking with some other people, when you see some replies on some stuff from Facebook. So uh I mean, he's a really good example of, of like when you try, but um, it's not working that much. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, exactly. We had a lot of IT leaders examples and for some reason for them, it's working anyways. Do you think there is some difference in industries where maybe the leaders should be even more empathetic. I don't know, let's say health industry versus IT industry or any other where maybe the social and soft skills should be even more developed, isn't it? That's a very good question, Clara. I'm going to give my take on this one. I think in any industry, people need to be uh, empathetic. I mean, it's a plus. It's something that will differentiate, I think, uh, a very good technical person from a great leader. I think in IT, there is the responsibility and in the health industry, I mean, there is responsibility and accountability that comes from developing an enterprise that is also cares about sustainability and social aspects. And uh, I think uh, Michal had a great example of Mark Zuckerberg, I think also self-awareness because you're right, uh, Michal, that uh, maybe he has his learning and he maybe lacks some social skills, but he also surrounds, uh, I think, with people yeah. that bought into the vision and that actually covering the gaps that he might have. But at the end, I think we admire Facebook, but then we started to see the other face of Facebook <laughs> when, uh, you know, the controversy with data and how data is being used. And I think that's where Yes, I mean, the, the empathy comes, but also the responsibility in when it comes to IT that uh, we as corporations have and own to our stakeholders, to our customers, to our communities. The same it's in, uh, in health, I mean, as you brought it as an example. I think in all the industries, it's, uh, to me, it's equally important to have empathy, but also to have a, a known responsibility of what it comes to the solutions that we bring to the market or to the offerings that we provide. Totally. Michal, what do you think? I personally think that IT is a way ahead compared to some other markets. And it's always been like that. I think when you look at the trends, it's always happening you know, in the IT industry first and then it follows in other industries. So uh, yeah, that's, that's probably a point mm -hmm. of view on that. Yeah. We also mentioned that we can improve. Maybe we cannot become the masters of empathy if we were born with none. But what do you think are some techniques or your tips from your personal experience, how we can work on developing it more as an app? Yeah, I can go with that. I think it's um, getting out of your comfort zone. I think that's quite uh, important. I mean, get to know people, get to see other perspectives. Travel, I think for me, has been living in different places and getting into professional and personal relationships with people from the places where I live has been a major teaching in my life or to see other points of view. 
unconscious bias exercises or trainings are quite important. I mean, we need to know that who we are is also how we were raised and we filter the life because of backgrounds and how we were brought up. I think it's important to understand that also every person is unique and every person brings their own backgrounds as well. So I think unconscious bias is actually quite helpful. Mentorship, I think, is also getting feedback and guidance and mentorship to me has been a great tool and also promoting this 360 feedback you know from your team members when you can actually establish a very safe way to bring your uniqueness and to listen what other people think your opportunities are in order to continue to develop I think those are few that I can bring to the table great Michal what has worked for you when it comes Um, to developing empathy I mean, as they say, practice makes perfect. So, well, even though I said, you know, you cannot get perfect in something you aren't initially born with, but um, I would say that actually, you know, having experience of leading a team, you know, it will get better, you know, year after year. Because for example, when I talk about myself, I've been doing this for many years. And when I look at some of my decisions, you know, which I've made in the past, like for example, like four to five years ago, I would do them completely different today, you know, with experience I have. So uh, definitely this, and then also reading, you know, I like to read a lot of books. My most favorite books are the Red Ocker Kander. It's from Kim Scott, which is a great book. I'd recommend it to everybody. And I mean, I'm not saying I'm trying to use like 100% tips, you know, reading from this book, but I definitely tried to apply it into our company. And uh, I think it was definitely very, very helpful. And it made me realize so many things I didn't know before. And it was really eye-opening for me. So uh, this is a number two. Third one would definitely be mentoring. I mean, you know, at the best, you know, we've been doing a great job at a fan palette. Uh, actually, where we are able to help, you know, a lot of people to get some extra feedback, which I mean, they may be missing. So I think this is really important to see that kind of like a mirror, you know, when somebody gives you feedback, even though it may not be very comfortable to read it first, but it will definitely improve yourself. Yeah, that's probably it. <laughs> Thank you so much for the tips. I love Radical Candor, by the way. It's a great book. <laughs> it was a big eye opener for me because sometimes I think I'm an empathetic person, but for me, I sometimes blended it with like pleasing people, which is definitely yeah. not what I would like to do. And Radical Kendra opened my eyes that it doesn't mean that everyone has to be pleased, that everyone has to be happy with you, that the most empathetic thing you can do is probably to be straightforward with that person in a way they can digest, I would say. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's so think? funny because I have the exactly the same experience as you, you know, because I think it's like two completely different things. And, you know, when a person tries to please people all the time, it kind of like backfires, you know. I mean, it happened to me many times and I'm trying to be more careful with that. If you don't please people, it doesn't mean, you know, you don't have an empathy. So I said, it's like two completely different things. So uh, I have to agree with you and I've experienced it myself. Mm-hmm. And I Thank also you. completely agree with you. And I'm very glad you brought this because I think some people might confuse empathy with people pleasing. And I think as Michal said, I also completely agree that that could backfire because at the end people want, I believe, I mean, we want all honesty. And we want to get constructive feedback. We can do that through empathetic and through respectful ways. Yes, I mean, I think it's a very good uh, example of uh, we might confuse the terms Mm -hmm. and then misunderstand, you know, that empathy is not people-pleasing. We can still be strong and get achieve our goals, etc. through empathetic ways. Yeah. When we got into it, maybe there was just like this bias from my side that everyone knows what empathy is. How do you understand it? How do you perceive it in leadership as Annette and then Michal? 
For me, empathy is when uh, you are able to put in your shoes of the person that you are talking to and understand through open communication the fears, the motivation, the challenges that that person is going through and, and put yourself in his or her shoes. And that doesn't mean that I'm going to please the person and I'm going to say yes to everything. I mean, it means that I need to actually communicate in a constructive, in an honest way for that person to continue to develop, to continue to grow. If we were talking about a team member or if it's a, a friendship, I mean, actually also provides, I don't know, feedback or guidance or receive as well, right now, feedback or guidance in a challenging situation. So that, to me, is empathy and to put yourself in others' shoes. How would you like to add something? I absolutely agree with Asana. I would maybe add that it's like being a total opposite of being a psychopath and sociopath. <laughs> so it means, you know, when you look at a psychopath and sociopath, they're like no emotions, no feelings. So being a leader with empathy, it means you need to feel the feelings of your colleagues. And uh, I would also add, for me, it means like no ego. And it's actually the number one rule trying to do things, you know, in our company is like having absolutely no ego, you know, everybody can like confront me with everything, even though, for example, if I do something like really wrong, or even it may be something like really small, you know, everybody can come to me and say, hey, Michael, you screwed up, you know, and it's your fault. And I'm so glad to hear that. And I mean, I know there are some leaders who are not able to take it. And I think it's a big mistake because, you know, then it creates this illusion, you know, that everything is going well, you know, from your side. And if people try to whisper behind your ears, they are not happy with the way you're leading a company. It creates like this extra layer of a gossip or, you know, something like that. Because they know, you know, when they say you something, you know, you won't be able to react. You know, you'll be like, okay, I'm the boss. I don't want to hear that, blah, blah, blah. And uh, it may be a very big problem in the future of your company. So I think it's, uh, as I said, it's about being able to feel emotions of your colleagues plus no ego. And opposite of psychopathy. Yeah, yeah I love <laughs> that. True. I love that. <laughs> as that, you were talking about traveling and how it also helped you open your mind and feel more with people and empathize with people and understand where they're coming from a little bit more. What do you think are other some other main factors that are influencing the level of empathy that we already have or that we develop over time? It can be, you know, gender, age, culture, education. What do you think is that? Education to me is uh, one of the main factors, but I'm not talking about technical education or somebody going to university. I'm talking actually the education of how we were raised. And uh, the level of empathy that we go within our families, that's to me, I, I think, a huge factor on uh, how empathetic and or not we are. Yeah, there is, I think, a level of, as Michal was saying, and I agree, I mean, a level of genetics involved, but I think it's mostly how we were actually learn to live and learn life, you know, and since we were children with our families. Gender, I mean, I would like to think that that is not really a factor, but I have to also, because of the way we were brought up, I think as women, we were raised with certain expectations, you know, that were part of our cultures to care for others, to care for babies. I mean, I have a 12-year-old, so there is an element there, you know, of care. And also as culturally, probably some of the expectations are Even if it's unconscious, I know that things are evolving and changing, but I think even if it's unconscious, I think women are more predisposed to take the uh, caring type of element. And I think that also gives us maybe some empathy as well. But I think to me, the most important is education. 
and again, not talking about university or, or technical education, but talking about education at home. So more family life and raising children from the early age is what defines us later on as leaders. Yes, and what we see also, I mean, in the early ages, I think that's to me what it comes later as a um, differentiator on how empathetic you might be or how much work you, you might need to put into uh, to develop this skill. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Michal. What do you think are the factors? Well, I mean, again, I agree with Azanet, especially the part about the family and the way we were being raised, you know, because, for example, um, I mean, it's not coincidence, you know, and I'm sorry to be talking about this topic, but if you look, um, I mean, we were talking about psychopaths and sociopaths. If you look at some like well-known stories, you know, for example, from the criminology, you know, and stuff like that, if there was somebody, you know, uh, who was not, not being normal, you know, for example, somebody who murdered someone, you know, most of the time, When you talk to the police guys and uh, people behind the scenes, they say, you know, that his or her childhood was not very good. For example, that person might have been beaten, you know, by parents and stuff like that. And uh, I mean, when this happens in a very young age, then I think it can definitely influence, you know, the person in his future life. And uh, the same can be said about the positive influence. So if your parents, you know, raise you as a being kind, you know, helping elderly people, taking care about our family, etc. I think this will definitely leave the biggest impact from the all points we've mentioned before, even college or even education and stuff like that. Yes, I mean, it's helpful, but I think it's mostly about the family environment you were raised in. So uh, I think this is definitely the strongest influence of all those we've mentioned. And uh, I mean, school can also, also have a lot of impact on that because for example, I mean, it's mostly about, uh, it's so funny because it's a lot about luck. I mean, we all, you know, remember some people, in, I mean, from our high school and from our middle school, you know, who were like very smart, very kind. And then they met somebody, you know, who wasn't uh, a really nice person and they kind of like led him off his path to somewhere else. And I mean, that person has never recovered from that. And I know many of my friends from my childhood were like really, really kind. But then they met someone, you know, in the school. I mean, they started doing drugs and stuff like that. And I mean, they've never recovered from that. So uh, this is also, I mean, this can also have a lot of influence on you, either from a positive or, you know, from a negative way. Mm -hmm. And I'm also so glad that we talked a little bit about the difference between female leaders and male leaders, because it's often said that female leaders are more empathetic, uh, usually in the feedbacks and stuff like that. And I'm so glad that we basically were able to nail it down to the raising part of, of our childhood, that it's not the gender that defines it. It's more uh, how we are approached maybe as girls, uh, that we should take care of everyone and make sure that everyone is satisfied and listen to their needs so that we probably in some cases maybe just learned it a little more not that we are wired this way and that everyone is able to to do that through this um, maybe early on education or parenthood absolutely family structure. yes and definitely i mean actually uh, i've worked with male colleagues and have male bosses i've been very privileged to, to say that some of them have been extremely kind and empathetic and they actually influence how i see also that differentiation It's not about being born a male or a female. It's about how you were raised, how you see life, and how you react if you have the tools to actually 
react to these challenges and, and these events that at the end are part of who you are and define you. And I think examples that Michal mentioned, which are very unfortunate, yes, I mean, I think uh, when, especially during the um, adolescence, where you're trying to find who you are or who you want to be and who you want to associate, it's very easy to actually start exploring. And I think if you don't have it, again, I mean, the right tools or the right people in your life, I mean, that can actually motivate you, could be very dangerous too. Yeah. So I hope that those friends, uh, it's not too late for them to recover, you know, and to find a ways. And maybe they can then talk about how they, they experience uh, and they turn their lives around. Because that's also, it's inspiring. And seeing people, you know, change the path and, and mm -hmm. create a better, a better now and a better future for themselves. Totally. One question out of curiosity. Have you experienced in the past a moment where you regret it? You were too empathetic with some person? Yeah, I mean, like many times, you know, <laughs> many, many times. Uh, <laughs> but as I said, I think it's getting better because you are always like gaining more experiences when you're getting older. So um, yeah, it's definitely better than it used to be. But I mean, things like that used to happen to me like all the time, you know, every week there was some class, oh my God, I'm so soft, I'm so kind, you know, people take advantage of it. I don't want to do it again. And then the week passed and I mean, another week followed and I did the same thing. And I mean, followed me, you know, for a big part of my life. Uh, so I'm still learning that, but it's definitely, uh, it's been definitely much better than it used to be. So, I mean, like big true question, yeah, it's happening to me all the time, even though on a much lesser scale than the past. And just what are those moments when you differentiate, like now I, I was a little too much empathetic or I was too kind to that person because what he did wasn't the right thing. Where, where is the border for you when you feel it's okay to empathize and be, you know, mm -hmm. the kind boss and when it's like over the edge already and you should get your hard mode on? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I think as, as I said before, there's a difference about, you know, trying to please someone. And then, I mean, doing something which actually makes sense. And I'm mean, in the past, I sometimes have a big problems to differentiate these two things. So, I mean, like once you feel, you know, you are doing this, you know, just like that, just because you want to please someone and I mean, you don't want them to be mad at you, you know, even though they may be mad just for a few minutes. I mean, this is exactly the moment where you should like, okay, I need to hold on, you know, I need to think about it once more. And uh, I need to make a, a decision which actually makes sense and not just because I want to please that person. It's, uh, I mean, it's very tough to decide sometimes, you know, it's very tough to see that. What always helped me was to get some kind of like perspective, you know, like a sit back for a bit and like think about the decision I want to make. And I mean, then actually do that. Then on the other side, when I make very like rushed decisions, like most of the time they were really bad decisions. So I always try to like think twice before doing anything. It would be definitely helpful for me, you know, at least in my case. Mm. Thank you for this. Azinat, how about you? Very similar than Michal, actually. I mean, I think I work uh, most of my life in construction. I've been always feel like an outsider a little bit. Uh, I was born in a Protestant family in Mexico, where most people is Catholic. So I was always, you know, on the outside, people assuming that I was Catholic at the time when I wasn't. Then I moved to the States, being a Mexican in the States, which was also a bit of an outsider in a way when I was working as a female in construction, also a little bit as an outsider. So I always try to be very nice to people, very nice to the teams that I work with, because I wanted to kind of cover the gap that I, that I was feeling different, you know? Then I learned how I'm reacting, and it's me who is feeling different, because in general, people want to be, again, 
want to do a good job, want to be respected, and they offer some respect as well. And I'm not saying that there is no differences or discrimination, but it's more how we react to how we feel and, and the words that we tell to ourselves. So I've actually learning, as I said, living in different places to bring that with me and to actually not try to assume about other persons and to cover the fact that I can be nice, yes, but I can also be constructive. Because if I'm always too yeah. nice and trying to please everyone, obviously then I end up subsidizing work. I end up pushing some members of the team while not others in the same in the same way. Or I mean, we end up in a not very healthy situation. So I think I need. I'm still learning on how to be kind, uh, empathetic, but also be very constructive and uh, fair. As Susan had said. I think the word constructive, it's a really well-chosen word here. And I would maybe add, you know, I've just realized, you know, when you were asking a question, Clara, I mean, the things like that usually happen to me when I was given a feedback to someone, you know, because as I said before, you probably know that a person you are trying to give feedback to has done something wrong, or it may not be on the level that you wish it to be. And uh, I mean, what usually happened to me in the past was that I was like, okay, uh, so uh, I just need to give the feedback and say something like, Hey, George, the work you have done uh, is not well done. I think you can do much better. It's like, you know, it's probably like 30%, you know, of her skills. I mean, I usually had a big problems with that because I'm not trying to explain. I was usually the type of person who was even like too kind. But then when something really bad happened, I was like another another side of extreme scale, you know. So I was like, even I was like too soft or then I was like crazy. I was like a furious. I was like, oh my God, this is, this is an absolute nonsense. This work sucks, you know, blah, 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 blah. I mean, this is something I've had a lot of problems in the past. And now I'm trying to balance more between middle, like between those two sides, because I think like both extremes uh, are bad, you know, for your company or even for yourself or for your colleagues. And it's very hard to do because, for example, I mean, another example which comes to my mind is when you are trying to talk with people about their salary, right? Because, you know, there is some kind of expectation from the person about their salary. It's... <laughs> I don't know how to explain that, but it's always kind of like position, you know, where I mean, you don't want to offend that person because, for example, a person may say, hey, I want to have like $4,000 per month. You feel uh, you're able to offer only like $3,000 per month. And I mean, if you say, hey, I'm able to offer you only like $3,000, that person may take it as an offend, you know, because he may be like, okay, so I'm spending like one to two hours with this guy and he probably thinks my skills are not good enough. So he only offers me like 3,000 instead of 4,000, which was my previous pain in my previous job. And I've had a lot of problems with that in the past where I didn't want to offend that person. So what happened was I actually offered even more <laughs> than, was the, <laughs> than was the original offer. And then I realized, oh my God, what have you done, Michael? It doesn't make any sense. You know, you just didn't want to offend that person. So instead of offering like 4,000, which he wanted originally, or you offered that person like 5,000. I mean, then it doesn't make absolutely any sense. But I mean, these were the things which were happening to me a lot in the past. And uh, I mean, mostly didn't end up well, because, you know, when you do something like that, your expectations are not getting realistic because you're like, okay, so I gave that person like 5,000 per month instead of my previous 3,000. And now I expect him, you know, or her to be much more productive because I'm over my limits, you know, with this pay. And it creates like very like unhealthy relationship where that person cannot do like anything more, but just because you gave that person more, more money, you expect him or her to do something completely unreal. So, uh, this is a big learning lesson uh, for me, and I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> so. I want to ask you for, for openings. 
<laughs> just kidding. But that is wonderful. And also you said an important thing that it sets the expectations <coughs> wrongly, which is for me also a big part of empathy to set the expectations straight so that everyone can deliver what is expected and not have those, you know, hidden expectations that no one knows about and they never shook hand with yeah. you about this one. It just brings me to maybe one tip for communication. So when it comes to this moments where you have someone on the interview or you have someone on the call and they say something where you don't have enough time to, as you say, Michal, sit back and maybe like think about it for 10 minutes. What do you do in those situations when you know you don't want to make a wrong decision? You want to be as empathetic as possible, but also make a business wise decision. What would you do to maybe postpone the decision or what would you say? That's a very good question, Clara, and, and I've been in the same shoes, in the same situations that Michal explained, not once, but maybe not with the salary, but with other things and expectations <laughs> as well. And for me, it's important to, to stop, actually request more time. I mean, we don't have to sometimes uh, provide the solutions right away. It's a learning process. Because sometimes because of time, etc., you want to close things and move to the next, close and move to the next. But I think there is a sense in which, or there is a worth to say, you know, I need to stop. But that comes with practice. I need to stop and, and this will be resolved when I actually, when we both sides can think and reflect and maybe come to a conclusion in 24 hours or in 48 hours. I think it's also okay to, you know, maybe reflect and There was no agreement. It was still in the conversation said, you know, I actually made a mistake by, by saying this. I mean, it's after the reflection, this is what we can do and this is what we can offer or this is what I'm expecting from you. So I think it's also not to set all, all in stone. I mean, unless it's contractual, but if it's not yet into that point, it's okay to say, you know, I thought about it and what I did was not the most productive or the, was not the most uh, assertive things for both parties. So we need to actually reflect and, and rethink how we're going to make this work. So it's okay to change your mind. We're just human That's also maybe showing empathy, you know, to yourself uh, that you just changed your mind or you made a better decision and you want to get back to the conversation and maybe change things. Nothing is set in stone. And just, you know, I, I, I may be talking too much, but as you said, now it brings me also to ego, which you mentioned, Michal that sometimes we are afraid to change our minds because the ego says like, all right, I already said it. So how can I, how can yeah. I change it? How can I take it back? Yeah. I think actually, uh, I mean, I have like this kind of rule, you know, which basically says that if you look past like five to six years ago, and then you see some decisions you've made and you still see it like in a similar way, probably means you are not evolving a lot because I think that person grows, you know, every year, if you can say it like that. I've already said it, I mean, this podcast, but when I see some of my decisions I've made, you know, when I was like 20, I wouldn't say I'm ashamed of them, no, but uh, it's more about like, I would do them completely different. And I think this proves that the person has evolved, you know, a little bit, at least a little bit, because when you see your world the same for like 10 to 20 years, it probably means something is wrong with you. <laughs> you know, it's just, and it's same with the ego, you know, when you say something, you know, for example, you know, you may be discussing some new feature, you know, to your website, you say, for example, I think this is a very bad feature. It looks ugly, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, then you talk with like two to three more people and they try to like persuade you that it's actually a really good feature. And I mean, like what may start happening is that you will realize, hey, it's actually not that bad idea. You know, we might be actually implement it. 
the worst thing you can do in this case is like said, okay, just because I said it sucks, like two weeks ago, I'm not doing it anyway. You know, I think it's a, mm-hmm. it's a really bad and really dangerous approach. And I mean, I have to say, I know some leaders who are exactly like that, you know, some of them are my friends, you know, they're a great person, but I mean, they have problems with that. And I mean, we have always like these like one-on-one sessions when we try to talk, you know, give feedback to each other. And I'm always like, okay, why you don't do that? And I mean, the person says, because, you know, the other people, I mean, my employees would see me as an incompetent leader. And I'm like, no, I mean, they see you as an incompetent leader because you never change your opinion on these things. And I mean, they see your big ego in the clouds, you know, flying about them. I mean, if you try to listen to them sometimes and say, hey, I'm so sorry, I was really wrong. You were absolutely right. Let's do this. It would make a much bigger impact, you know, on your company and I mean, your colleagues than saying, hey, I'm always right. And, uh, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. I just want to add, I really like that example, Michal, because I think hum- humility, right? I mean, being, being humble. I think we recognize that we can change our minds, that we made mistakes, that we are not perfect. Actually, I was listening uh, last week podcast in which a lady was saying, you know, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. Everyone is perfectly unper- imperfect and that's perfectly all right. That feeling is liberating. Because uh, as I was saying, I mean, I grew up in a, I started my career when failure was not an option and people were not themselves. I, I didn't feel myself. I was always trying to protect and see, of course, I was making mistakes. Of course, I was actually having what we call failures, which actually learn me and allow me to continue to grow and take risks. But I think that's also liberating, knowing that I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I can change my mind person that I'm talking to is not perfect and we need to actually go through that and, and that makes us humans but that also makes us closer. I think that allows us to uh, build a stronger relationship and be closer and be able to, to listen and to hopefully continue to evolve as Michal was saying. Thank you so much. I would like to just have one last closing question for our listeners. Would you just share with us one final tip on how you would recommend to be more empathetic and, and how to practice it in real life as an ad? Humility. I think uh, I'm going to continue with the thought of Michal. I, I like that. Be humble. Uh, know that we are not perfect. Understand that every person is unique in so many beautiful ways. And understand that that uniqueness is what makes us different and accept these differences. And um, yeah, lastly is uh, taking risks and getting out of our comfort zones because that also makes us vulnerable. And I think by being vulnerable, we're more empathetic and, and we get closer to people. I'm so glad, as Annette said, that we're like getting out of the comfort zone. I think it's probably one of the most important things you can do. And I mean, definitely be like open-minded. I mean, like being open-minded and not stuck with your own opinion, thinking, you know, I'm the best, I'm the smartest guy in the room. No, it's really funny because actually, you know, when I go to some meeting, I mean, I always have this kind of like perspective that I'll be the dumbest person in the room and it helps you give. Give people space to speak and for you to listen and to put together ideas and uh, to build something together. I I really like that as well. And just to come to a room and knowing, you know, I'm going to be here to learn. I'm not going to yeah. tell or show, but I'm going to be here to learn. And I mean, it's not coincidence, you know, that uh, I would say that actually one of the world's best leaders are really good listeners, you know, and I always make a really good test, you know, with this when I'm trying to interview some new colleagues. 
I mean, I always try to keep my mouth shut and, <laughs> and I mean, let them, you know, to ask me actually, you know, about the things we are doing because it helps you. Uh, I mean, it really helps you to get to know the person much better. Unlike, you know, when you're asking like 30 to 40 questions and I mean, like, what's your future goal? You know, how's your family doing? Blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's always better if it's like two-sided conversation, you know, if unlike, unlike being a monologue. So, uh, so yeah, this is, this is probably what helps a lot, at least in our case. Listen more. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you both for your time. Thank you for sharing your experience with empathy and sharing with me and our listeners. I was so excited to put this episode out there and I want to thank you once again and have a beautiful day. Okay, Clara. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you, Arzanet, for having this great conversation. It was very, it was really insightful for me. So thank you for that. And I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Michal, as well. And thank you, Clara, for facilitating. Have a really lovely day. Thank you. Bye. And that's a wrap. But the fun doesn't have to stop here. If you have any questions, guest suggestions or feedback, shoot us an email to podcast at fampala.com. To learn more about our community, head over right now to Fampalat Instagram or Facebook and get involved. Thank you for listening and join us for the next episode of On Air, a podcast by Fampalat.